0: welcome to the show i'm your host kyle duffy and you're listening to is a recording a podcast for passions episodes are available on spotify anchor fm google podcasts and many more platforms like this new to a recording follow the podcast on spotify so you never miss an episode new uploads every friday i'm very excited about what i have in store for you today i hope you all enjoy it let's get things started Hello and welcome to the podcast if you are new to is a recording remember you can always check out the rest of my catalog available up on Spotify anchor FM Google podcasts and many more platforms like this if you're a returning listener welcome back thank you for coming back and hope you enjoyed the episode in today's episode I'm going to be discussing everything going on in the world of cinema in the past week. I'll be diving deep into the situation surrounding the movie Don't Worry Darling. It was premiered in Venice last night and a few incidents happened that had a lot of raised eyebrows. I'll be getting into that later on. I'll also be discussing my movie of the week, giving a detailed review around a movie and TV show that I got to sit down and finish this week. And I'll also be giving my movie recommendation of the week and discussing what movie I think you should check out next. If you're looking forward to this year's Emmys, which takes place on the 13th of September next week, make sure to stick around till the end of the episode as I discuss my favourites going to this year's Emmys and give my predictions around who I think is going to win in certain categories. Before we dive into the episode, I want to give a brief update around the status of the podcast. I had mentioned previously that I will be starting a five-month placement with Midwest Radio beginning next week on the 12th of September Very excited for this to begin. However, with the work placement coming up very soon, I think that the podcast schedule might be affected. I'm hoping it isn't affected too much. I might have to go back to uploading every two weeks instead of every week. Hopefully, I don't see it being affected too much by my schedule in Midwest because I do tend to record my episodes of the podcast later in the evening, which gives me time to edit them that night and put them out the next day. If I do end up altering the schedule I might go back to posting every two weeks instead of every week. So if you do see a schedule change in the uploads that's the reason why. But overall very excited to start with Midwest. It's the next step on my radio career. I really look forward to starting and I plan on using this work placement to come out a more well-rounded professional. I want to learn more about editing videos, editing software, about recording podcasts, about recording shows, about producing as well. So I'm really looking forward to hitting the ground running with Midwest. And obviously on the podcast, I'll keep you updated as I go along. I had a meeting today with Midwest to discuss the upcoming internship. Super excited to work with them. It seems like it's gonna be a very positive experience. And on top of that, I got confirmation that even though I'm starting this internship with them, it doesn't mean that I have to exclusively work with them. I can still contribute with CRCFM on the weekends and pre-record my segments for the movie and TV segments. I'm very happy that I'm still able to do those segments. I do enjoy them. And it's talking about something that I'm really passionate for, movie and TV, and I'll also be able to do the sports as well with CRCFM. I just have to be careful now that I don't take too much on my plate and burn out too soon. Because even though I enjoy radio, you can still burn out in an area that you have passion for and even lose passion for it. So hopefully I can adjust my schedule accordingly and give priority to the right things in the next few months. But overall, like I mentioned, super happy to be on the journey I'm on with radio right now and looking forward to starting that placement. I'm also in the process of putting the final touches on the decoration of the podcast office. I've still got a few bits to go. I want to get a few things to hang on the wall just to reflect the content of the podcast. I want to get a few things framed to hang up. A few different movie and TV posters as well for the wall. I'm really looking forward to getting those as well. I put up a few progress pictures of how the equipment looks, how the room looks in general... But I wanted to get everything finished, done and dusted so I can put up the finished article on there as well. Hopefully it won't be too long before I have the office finished off and looking the way I want it. I will end up probably putting up the finished article and progress photos up on my Twitter if you want to check them out up there. Kyle underscore T underscore Duffy. One more quick update around the podcast before we get into the first segment If you've listened to the podcast up on Spotify, Anchor FM, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to it, if you don't have those platforms to listen to the podcast, you can always check out my YouTube channel, Is It Recording, where I'm now uploading the full version of every episode to my YouTube channel. So check out Is It Recording up on YouTube for full episodes of the podcast. Let's get into it. First segment today, I just want to talk briefly on Man United. And how we might be getting back on track. We are looking dangerous right now. Very shrewd football being played. Entertaining football. And the fight seems to be back at Old Trafford. Ten Hag needs to be given time in my opinion. We looked stellar against the likes of Liverpool and Arsenal the last day. I went into town to watch the Arsenal game. I wasn't holding my breath around our chances against Arsenal. However, I was very pleasantly surprised. I'm so glad that Ten Hag is taking the opportunity to put Harry Maguire on the bench, put Ronaldo on the bench, and give Martinez and Varane more time to bond and strike up a relationship in the centre-back position. I think they're working wonders together. And as a duo, they didn't really play it together in, no, not mid-season, in pre-season preseason. So the fact that they're playing this well together, and Martinez is beasting the Premier League so far, five foot nine, he could be five foot two. It didn't really matter. He is showing pundits and fans alike that size really doesn't matter. He has a fight in him, and if Jamie Vardy comes out and tweets about you and says you're a bully, then it's obvious you should be taken seriously in the Premier League. So happy, Lisandro Martinez is adapting so well to his role at Man United. I also have to mention another new arrival, Anthony getting his name on the score sheet against Arsenal. And I'm so glad he came through with that first goal because, to be honest, the money being spent in the Premier League, you're going to look at every opportunity to say they're not worth that amount of money. And it's, in many ways, setting players up for failure, having inflated prices like this. £86 for Anthony. Hopefully he continues to prove that that price tag is justified because, again, we need to know that we're bringing the right players in and that they're making a difference. It seems right now that Ten Hag has gotten through some of his rough patches. There is going to be fumbles and speed bumps in this Premier League, like any other, but it's great to see that Ten Hag is able to get really good, passionate performances out of this Man United team. Hopefully it continues. Hopefully we are right up there near the end of the season. We seem to have got a bit of confidence back in our playing style. I loved watching us against Arsenal and Liverpool. I'll take those kind of wins every day of the week. When you look back on how we performed against Brighton and Brentford, it was an embarrassment. But I think those performances were going to happen irregardless whether it was the first game of the season or it was the 25th. Man United have this ability just to throw away leads are not even leads. Throw away games from the get-go against teams we should be beating, but will overperform and overimpress against teams that we shouldn't have a chance against, like Liverpool. If you're a Man United fan, I'd love to know your opinion on our recent turn of form. Up on Anchor FM, Spotify, and Twitter. Are you cautious about this turnaround like I am? Are you excited for it? Let me know up on Anchor FM, Spotify and Twitter what you think has changed in the dressing room for us to turn our fortunes around. Okay, let's get into my review of the week. For this week's episode, I'm going to be reviewing a TV show and a movie. This week, it's going to be Shameless, which I just finished up the last episode of season 11 last night. And I'll also be reviewing Day Shift, starring Jamie Foxx, Snoop Dogg, and Dave Franco. First off, let's talk Shameless. I love this TV show. Honestly, it's a very plain and simple review. It's a 5 out of 5. I loved how you saw the progression of the actors on screen. If anyone has seen Shameless, this is the US version now. They used the same actors throughout the years. No one was recast. Certain actors left the show, including Emmy Rossum near the end of season 10 but not including that departure the cast of this show grew up on screen together the likes of emma kenny jeremy allen white and cameron monaghan all great actors and actresses and really showing their true talent throughout the seasons in this show a few personal highlights of mine while watching the show something i really enjoyed from the show overall The great camaraderie on screen and chemistry between Cameron Monaghan and Noel Fisher, they are by far my favourite part of the last few seasons of this show. I thought Noel Fisher as a character, even though he plays a criminal and is someone that is very off-putting in the show, he's very likeable, at times very relatable, and often says what the audience is thinking. Cameron Monaghan, like I mentioned, has grown up on this show really progressed as an actor and you've seen his work as well in the likes of the series Gotham alongside some other great actors. Overall great chemistry on screen and like I said probably the best part of the last few seasons of the show. Jeremy Allen White is another actor I really enjoyed in this series playing Lip Gallagher. He is actually starring in a new series called The Bear which should be available up on Netflix. The show already has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It seems to be doing very well with critics. I would definitely mark this one down on your watch list if you haven't already. Overall, Shameless as a show, there's ups, there's downs, great performances across the board, especially from William H. Macy, who leads this cast very well throughout the seasons. As well as this, there are great supporting roles and performances ...from Steve Howey and Shinola Hampton who play a couple in the show. Overall, this gets a 5 out of 5 for me. Shameless, we'll have you laughing one minute, crying the next... ...and angry on behalf of some of the characters in the show. Each character has something charming about them in some shape or form. You never fully hate one character for too long in the show... And at times in the show, it's very hard not to hate characters, including the head of the Gallagher family, Frank Gallagher, who was played by William H. Macy. William H. Macy does a great job at towing the line between sympathetic drunk and hateable antagonist. And the last season of the show, they attempt to achieve something that is very hard to do, which is making an antagonist sympathetic. For the longest time in this show frank gallagher everything he does is unjustifiable he's abusive he's an alcoholic he neglects his kids he doesn't value their lives and doesn't care whether they're looked after or not he comes and goes as he pleases he uses his house and their living space as a drop by drug den overall it's a terrible character in the last season the show had me feeling sorry for his character And wanting something to be done for his character that probably wouldn't get done. I wanted his kids to look after him in a way that he never looked after them. And again, like I said, that's such a feat to achieve. Because when you spend almost eight seasons, nine seasons, like this show did, making one character out to be the worst character in the show. And giving them no real long-term justifiable and redeeming qualities it's very hard in one fatal swoop to make us forget all the bad things he did and although the last season doesn't justify everything he's done it gives him some humanity it gives him some redeeming traits and makes us question whether we actually like or hate this character in the end I won't give any spoilers away for the conclusion and the finale of this show. But what I will say is the finale of this show does a great job of bringing the series full circle. If you're like me and you started watching this show, fell off for a while, take this as your sign to get back on Shameless and finish the series out. It finishes in a very strong way, in my opinion. Great performances throughout the show, great chemistry between the cast and characters you can really relate to. Let me know up on Anchor FM, Spotify and Twitter if you've seen this show, if you've finished the finale, let me know your thoughts up on Anchor FM, Spotify and Twitter. Moving on to my movie review of this week, which is Day Shift starring Dave Franco, Snoop Dogg, Jamie Foxx and Megan Good. Overall, I had no clue what the plot of this movie was going in. I didn't watch any of the trailers, went in blind, didn't know what to expect. Massive disappointment with Day Shift. We follow Bud, played by Jamie Foxx, who was a vampire hunter in Los Angeles. In order to keep his family in Los Angeles and keep them from moving away, he needs to come up with $10,000 over the course of a weekend. And to do so, he plans to hunt vampires to make money to pay for them to stay. Overall, this movie, it was jumbled. You often come across movies like this that are all substance and no sizzle. And I felt this was the case with Day Shift. I really felt that Jamie Foxx was trying to capture some of the success that the likes of Kevin Hart has had with buddy action movies in the past with the likes of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. But it just doesn't work here. I don't really rate Jamie Foxx as a lead role, as a lead actor. I don't think he has the ability to sell movies the way other big actors do, including Kevin Hart and The Rock. At certain stages in movies... Lead actors are expected to carry certain scenes. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. In this case, it doesn't work. And I think Day Shift serves as a perfect example of what happens when your lead actor can't actually sell the movie and bear that responsibility of being the most entertaining thing out of a bad movie. There was nothing really that I could point to in Day Shift that I fully enjoyed. There were small aspects that had glimpses of good chemistry. For example, the chemistry between Dave Franco and Jimmy Fox was present in some scenes. However, this chemistry never really seemed to last long and it seemed as one scene ended, the other one began and the chemistry had to be built up again. And in my opinion, there was never really a smooth spot in the movie where the chemistry got going and built up to a great scene. As I mentioned, it just seemed like they were just failing to get into the groove of things on that set and really making the chemistry shine on screen. The only really positive I have to say about Day Shift is Snoop Dogg's character was probably the most entertaining. His character has the more intense scenes in this movie and a great bit of dialogue near the end as well. So, really, the only thing I would rate out of Day Shift is Snoop Dogg and his performance. And that should tell you how bad the movie is. Day Shift gets a 1 out of 5 from me. Again, I think you can miss this. It's available up on Netflix to view. If you want to go up on Netflix, watch it for yourself and make up your own mind. I'd love to know what your thoughts are on Day Shift as a movie. If you've seen it, let me know what you thought of the movie up on Anchor FM, Spotify and Twitter. Do you agree with my assessment or did you find it entertaining? The great thing about movies is whether it's comedy, drama, horror whatever. Movies and movie tastes are subjective. What entertains me might bore you and vice versa. This is what's great about movies. There's always something for someone. And although Day Shift wasn't a movie I was entertained by or enjoyed, it could have been very entertaining for someone else. Again, it's all subjective. Let me know your thoughts on Day Shift up on Anchor FM, Spotify and Twitter. My movie recommendation for this week's episode is the latest Jordan Peele horror Nope which stars Daniel Kalula, Kiki Palmer and Steven Yoon. As I mentioned this is the latest horror movie released by Jordan Peele who gave us great movies like the remake of Candyman as well as Get Out and Us. Daniel Kalula stars again in this movie. He did a great job in the movie Get Out and I'm sure we'll all really enjoy him in this movie as well. He's just a very charismatic actor. I think even when he's given tasks and menial roles, he makes a meal out of them. I know I really enjoyed him in Black Mirror, and I think that performance in Black Mirror was a big reason why he got the role in Get Out. I think Jordan Peele mentioned in the casting process that once he saw Black Mirror and the episode Daniel Kaluuya was in, he asked him to audition, and the role was basically his. Nope, as a horror movie, seems to deal with the paranormal and the extraterrestrial aspect of horror. I'm really excited to see what this movie's all about. This movie is definitely on my watch list. I think it should be on yours too. Please enjoy the trailer for Nope.
1: Did you know that the very first assembly of photographs to create a motion picture was a two second clip of a black man on a horse? And that man is mine! great-great-grandfather great there's another great-grandfather but that's why back at the haywood ranch as the only black-owned horse trainers in hollywood we like to say since the moment pitches could move yeah skin in the game
0: What's oh, a bad miracle? They got work for that. Yeah, no, no, no. got to sit down and watch this trailer yesterday i'm already excited to see the movie what i have heard about nope is daniel kalula's performance is yet again stunning and he seems to be one of these actors who can just pull great performances even when his character isn't the main lead isn't the one we're supposed to be focusing on daniel kalula as an actor just has this ability to draw us in with every emotion he puts out every bit of dialogue, every physical performance as well. Get Out was a very physical performance and you were drawn to him on screen throughout the movie. Now, again, he was the main lead in that. However, he is starring alongside Kiki Palmer, who's a very charismatic actress, very likable on screen. I'm sure they'll make a great pairing. As well as Stephen Noon from The Walking Dead, very charismatic and likable actor as well. So it all spells a great watching. For me anyway in my opinion. It all spells great things for watching the movie Nope. Hopefully the trailer isn't the biggest highlight. And there's plenty to get into into the story. Hopefully it's one that you're looking forward to watching. Like I mentioned it's definitely one I have on my watch list. Let me know up on Anchor FM, Spotify and Twitter. If you've seen the movie Nope. What were your thoughts on the performances? Does it live up to Jordan Peele's previous movies in Candyman, Get Out and Us? And are you excited for Jordan Peele's future projects? Before we move on to movie news this week, I want to quickly give my reactions to the first episode of She-Hulk. I got a bit of time to myself this past week, got to sit down and watch the first episode on Disney+, Plus, because there was raving reviews around the show, how bad it is, how bad the CGI is, the writing. The entire show seems to be taking a hammering on social media So I had to see what it was all about. And even though I'm just through the first episode, I'm already let down. I can see that it's just going to be one of those paint-by-numbers Marvel TV shows where everything coming out of the character's mouth is a quip, is a joke. And it's not going to feel like a superhero movie or a superhero TV show. I just feel that Marvel as a franchise, they're losing their edge, And I really haven't, when I think about it, I'm thinking about the last Marvel movie I fully enjoyed and laughed at and was fully engaged with throughout the runtime. I spoke not too long ago on this podcast about the new Thor Love and Thunder movie and I think I gave it a 4 out of 5 but I've been thinking about that movie because I've been watching She-Hulk and a few other Marvel movies over the past few weeks. When I look back on how engaged I was with the second Taika Waititi tour movie, it wasn't as good, and I think I was kind of wrapped up in the idea of Taika Waititi being a great director, and I really loved his movie Free Guy, as well as the first tour movie he directed, but overall I think there was two laughs in it, at the laughing goats, the screaming goats, but the rest of the movie it was paint by numbers, and one or two laughs as well with the comedy behind Tor's hammer and his axe. I do still stand by the fact that Christian Bale had a great performance. But overall, I think I'm going to have to downgrade my rating of that movie since I last reviewed it. I think Thor Love and Thunder now for me is a 2 out of 5. Because looking back on it, without looking at it through rose-tinted glasses... The really best part about that movie wasn't the main character. It was the main antagonist in Christian Bale. And looking back on Chris Hemsworth's performance, he's always a great actor in a movie. And even though he didn't give a bad performance, he was likable throughout the movie. But I wasn't as engaged with Thor as a character. And to be honest, there were parts that I turned off and I wasn't as interested in what was going on on the screen. I did check my phone a couple of times. So... Again, I'm going to have to downgrade my rating of Tor, Love and Thunder from a 4 out of 5 to a 2 out of 5. Let me know if you went to go see Tor, Love and Thunder in cinema, if you enjoyed it, but like myself have since come to reevaluate how good of a movie it was or whether you walked away completely disappointed from the get-go with the direction of Tor, Love and Thunder. Let me know up on Anchor FM, Spotify and Twitter. Okay, now that that tangent is over with, back to She-Hulk. Again, I've only watched the first episode, but I feel like I'm in for a bad viewing. I'm not fully sure of how many episodes are available to watch now up on Disney Plus, but just focusing on the first episode, all bad things to say. I didn't really enjoy any aspect of it. The only thing I'm kind of looking forward to is episode two because I know Tim Roth is going to make an appearance as Abomination, and I really love Tim Roth as an actor. His work in Reservoir Dogs. In Pulp Fiction, love him as an actor, so we're looking forward to seeing him on screen. The first protocol in having a successful run show is having a likable first character, our main character. I do not like the character of Jessica Walters or She-Hulk, whatever her name is. I just found her so unlikable and irritating in that first episode, and I can only tell it's going to get worse from here. And for Christ's sake, the CGI, can we please talk about the CGI? Because it is horrible. I saw that Megan Stallion is actually in an episode as well. I kept on getting that twerking video or that twerking scene with She-Hulk twerking with Megan the Stallion. It looks monstrous. Speaking of monsters, can we talk about Abomination in this TV show? Apparently, it's a very watered-down version of the 2009 Abomination. He's not as intimidating. He's kind of PC'd up for this TV show, which I do not agree with. If you're going to have a character called Abomination in this movie or in this tv show have him be the original abomination and have him be a force to be reckoned with there's really apparently nothing for him to do in this tv show again this is going off the first episode i'm making a lot of assumptions let me know if you've seen a bit further in the tv show if it gets better should i keep watching is there something to hang on hope for in this tv show or should i just give up now let me know what your thoughts are on she hulk up on FM, spotify and twitter being a superhero
1: is a trial by fire who's gonna protect the world if not people like you I'm Jennifer Walters. I'm a lawyer. I have great friends. Can we get some shots, please?
0: It's an emergency. A demanding job. We just started a superhuman law division, and I want you to be the face of it. And a frustrating family.
1: Because we didn't ask for this, but you still got to deal with it. Your transformations are triggered by anger and fear.
0: Those are like the baseline of any woman just existing. Oh. Bruce! kind of feels like if I don't transform, I'm gonna die.
1: Yes, yes, yes! No, no!
0: I just want to be a normal, anonymous lawyer. Can you tell us where She-Hulk is? Jen, you're a story now. Girl, your ass looks crazy right now. You could be an Avenger. Oh, I'm not a superhero. That is for billionaires and narcissists and adult orphans for some reason.
1: Is there anything more depressing than dating in your 30s? Yeah,
0: this is the best date I've had in a while. Oh. Should we split some fries?
1: Let's get those to go.
0: Moving on to a few big news stories coming out in the world of cinema this week. First off, Brendan Gleeson is the latest cast member to join the cast of the Joker sequel. Very excited for this movie. It's going to be released in 2024. Todd Phillips set to direct the sequel. How did you feel about the first movie? I spoke about it last week and the fact that a lot of people reacted to the movie the same way they would have reacted to GTA when it first came out by Rockstar as well as the game Bully. I'd like to know your opinion on this movie. Did you think it promoted violence or do you think it was tame compared to other movies we have got in the past? We can now look forward to Indiana Jones 5 hitting our cinemas in 2023. It'll be the fifth movie starring Harrison Ford in the lead title. However, it will be the first Indiana Jones movie not directed by Steven Spielberg or written by George Lucas. Are you excited for the fifth movie? Are you wary that George Lucas and Steven Spielberg aren't involved? Do you think it will lower the standard of the movie or do you think it will bring back some well-needed nostalgia? Let me know if you're excited for Indiana Jones up on Anchor FM, Spotify and Twitter. I personally haven't seen a lot of the Indiana Jones movies. I've seen the classics like The Lost Temple and the first one as well. I especially liked the movie involving Sean Connery who starred as Indiana Jones' dad and we all know that River Phoenix starred as a young Indiana Jones. I'm pretty sure if he didn't, die so young he probably would have taken on that mantle because he had great charisma in that role and you could see him as the next indiana jones if his life wasn't so tragically cut short let me know up on anchor fm spotify and twitter if indiana jones is one of those movies that's in your top five i know it's touted as one of those franchises that you could watch on any occasion let me know how highly in regard you hold that franchise Anna De Armas came out and stated that she has used a lot of her own insecurities to fully tap into the character of Marilyn Monroe for her movie *Blonde*. I'm very excited for *Blonde*. It's going to come to Netflix pretty soon. I have it bookmarked on my watch list up on Netflix. Hopefully, you do too. Let me know up on Angra FM. Are you excited for *Blonde*? Anna De Armas has been one of those characters, are not characters, sorry, has been one of those actresses that came to Hollywood. I think in the beginning she didn't actually know much English and she taught herself to learn English through watching movies and reading scripts which is a very interesting concept and strategy for learning a new language. She has proven herself as a very good actress starring in great movies over the years like The Grey Man, a recent release, as well as James Bond, No Time to Die. Let me know if you're excited for *Blonde* releasing on netflix pretty soon let me know your thoughts up on anchor fm spotify and twitter On to the last bit of movie news this week but probably the biggest story coming out of hollywood at the moment in venice the movie don't worry darling was premiered and there was more than a few raised eyebrows around certain events certain interactions among the cast and crew of don't worry darling a bit of backstory to this if you don't already know there was stories coming out when the movie was being shot last year, that there was a lot of tension on set between Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde. Florence Pugh stars in one of the lead roles in this movie. Olivia Wilde directs. Throughout this movie, they have butted heads. There's been a lot of tension, and here's why. Apparently, to begin, this movie was starring Shia LaBeouf and Florence Pugh. However, Shia LaBeouf pulled out of shooting the movie due to conflicting scheduling issues, but levy wilde said that he was released from the movie due to bad behavior this did seem to track because the actor does have a history of acting out on set he does take his acting methods a bit too far like his role on the movie fury where he refused to bathe for several weeks and in the movie lawless where he played a moonshine seller and drank moonshine regularly to get into character so hearing shia labeouf was fired because of his behavior is not hard to believe however it has since come out that this is not what happened and Shia LaBeouf has leaked whatsapp messages proving that to be the case once Shia LaBeouf was let go Olivia Wilde hired Harry Styles in the main role and this led to what some people are labeling an affair it has been pushed out by the media that Florence Pugh was very off-put by the fact that Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde were very cosy on set. And this was while Olivia Wilde was still engaged to then fiancé Jason Sudeikis. Who she has children with. However we did see the breakup of that couple. And then subsequently Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde got together. I didn't really know much about this affair and Widow's affair. Now I just simply thought Olivia Wilde broke up with Jason Sudeikis. And ended up dating Harry Styles. I thought it was a bit random. But again, I didn't really go reading into it. So that seems to be the story behind that. And that let tensions build within the set. And it was very clear there was high tensions at the premiere in Venice last night. The main story that everyone's talking about is the fact that there's a video leaked. There's a video put out of Harry Styles finding a seat, sitting down and visibly spitting at the feet of Chris Pine. Chris Pine starring in the movie alongside Florence Pugh. And Harry Styles has a lot of good things to say about Florence Pugh and many people are saying his alliance, his friendship with Florence Pugh probably looks like he's choosing a side in this heated debate, in this tension, in this feud between Olivia Wilde and Florence Pugh and therefore Harry Styles is acting out his aggression on Chris Pine. However, this was a disgusting moment and... For someone who's painted himself in such a good light for years now, since leaving One Direction, he has, I think, big ambitions to be as big as David Bowie was. Harry Styles has really kind of done it in for himself. And it's obvious something is going on on set. Florence Pugh didn't show up to the press conference for the premiere last night. She did show up for the screening. You could tell even by the way they took the photographs and the positioning of each actor in the photograph it was purposeful so obviously certain people can't stand to be around each other and it's showing it's really showing let me know what your thoughts are on the actions of harry styles with that spitting incident i personally think it's really unforgivable it's so unprofessional i do feel sorry for some of the actors involved because to work so long on a project that you have passion for that you're invested in and to deal with all that stress along with it must really take its toll From looking at all the videos from last night and today, one thing is very evident. I don't think Florence Pugh will be working with Olivia Wilde anytime soon. Let me know your thoughts on the story up on Anchor FM, Spotify and Twitter. Before we move on to the final segment of the episode, I want to quickly give my reflections around the HBO drama series The Last of Us, adapted from the game series of the same name. I've seen the trailer in the past couple of days. I don't know if it's going to do the game complete justice to be honest the game itself has some great motion capture performances including an iconic performance from troy baker who stars as joel in the last of us the cadence of his voice his ability as a voice actor and motion capture actor in video games is next to none he's also done some great voice work in the uncharted series as sam drake big brother to nathan drake he really made the character of joel his own in this game franchise and it's going to be hard hopefully not too hard seeing pedro pascal take up that mantle and do it justice there's one scene in particular that i'm thinking of and it's a scene with a lot of emotion with a lot of depth and intensity that i hope isn't butchered in the tv series overall i'm excited optimistic but I'm not holding my breath around the HBO TV series because again, when you try to replicate magic on screen and when you try to replicate performances in video games and make them into movies or TV shows, sometimes they translate, but most times they don't. Hopefully this translates with the last of us and we get a great TV show. Let me know what your thoughts are on the last of us game franchise the TV series coming out? Are you excited? Are you cautiously optimistic like I am? Let me know your thoughts up on Anchor FM, Spotify, and Twitter. If you're excited for this year's Emmys, stick around because when we return, I'll be discussing the nominees for this year's ceremony. I'll be giving my predictions around who I think is going to win in certain categories, and I'll be reflecting back on some great TV shows we had in 2022. But for now, please enjoy the trailer for the HBO series The Last of Us. You don't know, do you? The people that have left. What they've become. Another kind of people weren't saving. You've got ghosts haunting you. Something in your past you can't live with. Seems to me you are serving penance. I lost
1: my daughter. You said you would take the child there.
0: The growth inside her is somehow mutated. It's why she's immune. Rise with us.
1: Look
0: for the light. Believe in the fireflies. Find someone else. There is no one else. I don't know about all of you, but I'm super excited for this year's awards. This year's Emmys will be hosted by Kenan Thompson. The ceremony will take place on the 12th of September, and we will no doubt see some great TV shows, limited series, great actors up for nods in the different categories i think 2022 has been such a great year for tv and limited series in particular there is really so much to choose from in the different categories i won't be alone in this segment i will be joined on the line by fellow podcaster jack mcdonald of the jack mcdonald show he is joining me to dissect this segment to discuss The different predictions that we have around this year's Emmys. We'll be talking about the different shows up for nominations. We will also be reflecting on the fact that there will be many different streaming platforms with nominees in the different categories and giving our prediction around who we think as a streaming platform will come away with the most wins. Obviously, we saw in this year's Oscars that Apple TV became the first streaming platform to get a movie nominated and win Best movie at the Oscars, which is a great feat to accomplish. They obviously bet out Netflix in that regard. And I think it's all about bragging rights in ceremonies like these. So let me know up on Anchor FM, Spotify and Twitter if you have predictions around different categories, around who you think as a streaming platform will come away with the most wins. Jack and I will be discussing that in this segment. We're also going to be discussing the fact that TV productions as a whole has improved so much over the years and has definitely risen in quality to compete with the productions of movies nowadays hope you enjoy let's get jack on the phone how are you jack great to have you on the show thanks for joining me for this segment we're talking the emmy nominations the emmy awards overall taking place on the 12th of september since we have a kind of back and forth on your podcast about um different movies different movie reviews I figured it was only right to bring you on to discuss the Emmys.
1: Yes, I mean, I'm not sure if it's in everybody's calendars, you know, gather around kids, it's time mm. for the Emmys. But there is certainly a, a cultural, I, I think, awareness of the Emmys. Generally, they keep a, a bit more between the ditches, so to speak. There's less controversy. You know, Ricky Gervais with the Golden Globes is, is always explosive. I think we need it often coming out of uh, December and Christmas. It's, an, it's a nice thing to have pop up on your timeline. It's a bit of controversy to sink your teeth into. But this time of the year, it's a little calmer. The Emmys, of course, focus just really on television. Um, and generally, the guest hosts are a little calmer and they don't take it to the levels that people like Gervais uh, seem to enjoy taking it to.
0: Just speaking about the hosts of this year's Emmys, it's Keenan Thompson of SNL and, obviously, his infamous show with Nickelodeon, Keenan and Kel. And you hit the nail on the head there, very likeable, but isn't going to cause too much hassle or um, be too chaotic, like um, Ricky Gervais would have been in the Golden Globes. Speaking of chaos, like you mentioned, this ceremony will be a lot calmer, especially in regards to the fact that we've had enough chaos for this year with the Oscars and the infamous slap. Overall, how do you see this ceremony going? Is there certain favourites you have For TV shows, you want to get recognised. It has been a great year for TV in 2020.
1: Well, you can say that again, Kyle. It has been a phenomenal year for television, I think. Uh, When you look at some of the nominations across drama and comedy, I haven't managed to get to all of them, but certainly the ones I've seen, I think have definitely earned their place. It doesn't feel like there is a lot of kind of um, you know virtue signaling nominations that you sometimes see. I think the politics has drained away um, in, in a lot of regards and we're starting to perhaps return to um, shows being nominated on the merits of what they produce. Mm. I was uh, kind of dismayed to see in the documentary category that the documentary Genius, which myself and yourself had already spoke about on my show, didn't unfortunately win the award for outstanding uh, documentary that was given to um, Peter Jackson's The Beatles uh, documentary. It was unfortunate, but I think ultimately it's it's always hard to beat The Beatles. In terms of comedy and drama, I mean, there's some phenomenal nominations. If you want to focus on on either of those categories for a second, I mean, uh, you know, especially if we say take drama for a second, uh, you're talking about Ozark, you're talking about Better Call Saul, both of those shows are going to be fighting it to the death, especially with Better Call Saul finishing up um, and, and Ozark taking what seems like a similar turn. So I think both of those will have fans enthralled tonight.
0: I think Best Drama is one to focus on because there is so many great movie, uh, not movies, sorry, TV shows in the lineup for nominations. There, you mentioned Better Call Saul and few others there euphoria severance squid games and stranger things succession as well so really spoiled for choice in the uh, nominees
1: at least for myself kyle succession i i think that is there on the strength of the first two seasons not the last one because the last season at least for me was boring and it was a real letdown it was kind of what succession could have always
0: fallen into
1: and unfortunately in season three it did fall into the trap of just being rich people whining about their problem
0: to be honest i can't really speak on succession like you said there's so many different tv shows that hit our screens this past year it's hard to get to a lot of them i didn't actually get to succession but i do know if they don't win best drama brian cox is up for best actor in a drama for his role in succession before we get into the major predictions I want to to talk around the fact that there is a lot of streaming platforms up for nominations in different categories. Do you feel like there is a certain streaming platform that's going to come out on top? Obviously, we had Apple TV claiming their first Oscar nod and Oscar win as a streaming platform. They were the first streaming platform to get the best movie win at the Oscars.
1: Well, what's interesting about the whole dynamic, Kyle, in just about four years everything has shifted on its head. I mean, you look to 2018, and that was the year that we had just one uh, streaming service, Netflix, pushing to holy hell, Roma, which was uh, a film, in my opinion, it was quite boring, but it was black and white. And they were pushing it very, very heavily for um, winning an Oscar. Now, unfortunately, it didn't. But in that sense, it was just the one streaming service competing with all of the rest on the schoolyard, being NBC, ABC, Universal, Disney, that whole conglomerate that weren't streaming-focused. Now it seems everybody is streaming-focused. Even the cable networks, of course, are owned by essentially streaming services who instantly chop up their TV shows for consumption on Disney+, Plus or whatever the service may be. So I think, to be honest with you, to be a a little bit bland, almost a footballer answer, they're all the winners, really all streaming services. It's hard to see a loser, particularly. CNN Plus is probably the only streaming service we've seen in the last while that didn't work out. Pretty much every other streaming um, service seems to be doing quite well, or at least have carved out enough of a market and perhaps a credit line from Goldman Sachs to keep going.
0: Well, you definitely hit the nail on the head there that they're all winners. The likes of Pam and Tommy coming from Hulu, Inventing Anna from Netflix. You have Only Murders in the Building coming from Disney+, Plus, as well as The Dropout and Dope Sick. So overall, just going back on my first question and the fact that you mentioned Netflix being the kind of original platform that we're pushing for Oscar nods, do you think that Netflix will stamp their authority in this me ceremony as the og streaming platform
1: well they need to is the reality it's the tough reality because when you look at all of the other competitors they have so many other strengths disney particularly have a huge array of assets that they can use they can utilize their um, their theme parks and other assets but they can also use all of uh, the, the companies they own, be it ABC, be it Pixar, et cetera, et cetera, to create this massive um, amount of content. Uh, and so, too, with Apple, of course, Apple, Apple Plus is just basically a hobby for them. They are such a massive company that they can dump unholy amounts of money into streaming and don't really need to see an instant return. If you think about Amazon, well, oh. Amazon Prime, who aren't particularly represented this year, but they have a similar, um, a similar backing in, the, in terms of uh, Amazon Prime is, is, again, basically just a hobby for Jeff Bezos. So I think Netflix, being a streaming-first and streaming-only business, has to keep uh, this, this pace of, of incredible content that it's set out the gates with. Because all of the other competitors are taking their content off Disney, and they're putting a tougher and tougher fight. Uh, in terms of, you know, individual series that are nominated, Ozark certainly is in with quite a good shout, you would imagine. But, I mean, it will be hard to fend off Euphoria. Squid Games, of course, is another Netflix uh, property, along with Stranger Things. So, certainly, they have a good few in the running, but they do have longer and deeper problems within the company that I think the Emmys certainly wouldn't fix but they at least would contribute towards a healthier image.
0: One thing that you said there, I want to touch on and kind of dive into is the fact that streaming platforms are putting so much money into their productions and making sure that they put the best quality TV shows out there. One TV show that you actually recommended to me for your podcast was The Offer, starring Miles Teller and a few other great actors, including Juno Temple. Mm. Overall, a great TV show, and the production value next to none. Most times this year when I've been watching a TV show, watching a series, it feels like a movie. The quality, the plot, the overall production value as well. The fact that we've come so far in terms of the production of TV shows, do you think they're right on par with the production of movies now?
1: Well, it is interesting, Kyle. Certainly, the production is one element, but even the storyline—you can't, at this moment in time, make a film. It seems like *Heath* or like *Forrest Gump* or these incredible films of the '90s that were so, so much more plot-rich and thick, and, and you know, basically trusted the viewers to be smarter. They didn't trade on already uh, built-up assets. They created their own lane, and they basically took a gamble. You know, Matt Damon was speaking about this recently about how DVD sales were essentially a second box office, and they often funded films like um, like Goodwill Hunting because they allowed a, a larger margin for these studios. So all of that point is to say, Kyle, that we get stories like Goodwill Hunting; those are now TV shows, not movies. So I I think ultimately, if you're a movie director, you'd be pulling your hair out in this moment in time because it seems like you can't get anything of real substance or interest on the movie screen, certainly not the same way you can with a streaming partner as a TV show.
0: Overall, I have to agree with you there because there does seem to be an oversaturation in the cinema world right now. Every movie coming out if it's not a drama, is going to be a superhero movie. And like you said, it's kind of paint by numbers at this stage. I went to go see the new Thor film, Thor Love and Thunder, and it was directed by a director I really admire, Taika Waititi, who has had success with this Thor franchise before. And I went to go see the movie, sat down, enjoyed it. There wasn't many points where I laughed at it. I did go on my phone from time to time. And after it, I kind of thought, okay, well, that's a great movie. Went reviewed it, and I actually in this week's episode, I actually rescinded my original um, review of it and kind of downgraded it because thinking back on it, you kind of get swept up in the flock thinking and you think like the crowd in terms of thinking that superhero movies are great quality all the time. But like you said, the standard of the plots seem to be slipping. And we're getting paint by numbers, and there's not much to be seen in the plot. It's kind of great animation or great production value, and we're sacrificing a good plot for that.
1: Well, they're, they're fun. That's the thing about yeah. them, Kyle. Uh, you know, that, that, that's why Scorsese described them as theme park rides. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a little critical, perhaps, but it makes the point, which is uh, you and a load of people online are all excited for this one big release. And already you are basically sold, you know, as long as they keep it roughly between the ditches, they hit the major plot points and you see perhaps an Iron Man cameo, you're going to go out with a full belly of popcorn and a smile on your face. But when you start to actually dissect the film, you start to think, well, that's a bit ridiculous and that doesn't make sense. And we've seen that plot 34 times before. And, you know, it it crumbles away. As I say, they they can be very enjoyable films. It's just unfortunate that we haven't seen as many of your heat or, uh, you you know, there's there's a plethora of those examples that are unique, one-off pieces, purely a, you know, a craft of love and a work of love by the director and not necessarily based on anything other than the plot and perhaps the star power of the actors. But it doesn't have to be superheroes on planet Krypton.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a great point, what you're saying, around the star power, because when you look at the superhero genre, no matter what, who's directing the movie, what kind of plot is behind it, what new actors have been added to the cast, a Thor fan is going to go and watch a Thor movie, an Iron Man fan is going to go watch an Iron Man movie. So they're already guaranteed tickets sold. Overall, I think you have a good perception of the fact that we are sacrificing plot for production hopefully that remedies itself in the next few years and we do get great movies along with great tv shows because it seems like the standard of tv shows it's almost surpassing the standards of movies coming out right now
1: yes and i suppose there's financial and, e- and economic reasons behind those you know you've got an audience as a as a tv producer for a lot longer Um, and a lot more consistently than you do as a movie producer. Movie producer, the audience is there for two or two and a half hours. But if you're producing TV, you perhaps have them for multitudes of weeks or certainly multitudes of days if they choose to binge it. So you can see why at times, I suppose, it's perhaps easier to become a person who produces TV and decides to, I suppose, uh, ultimately uh, perhaps turn their back a little bit on the movie world because as you say at the current state of the movie world does bear a little bit of concern but that's why it's great we're talking about the Emmys which of course have so much of this darling starlight tv
0: back to the Emmys and the nominations at hand just a few categories i like to go through with there's so many different categories i picked a couple of us to go through to give our predictions talk about maybe our favourite movie, our favourite TV shows that might be in that category. Let's start off with Best Comedy. For Best Comedy, you have Abbott Elementary from ABC, Barry from HBO, Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, Hacks, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Only Murders in the Building, Ted Lasso, and What We Do in the Shadows. Any prediction around Best Comedy?
1: Well, I can just tell you what I've seen. I've seen Curb Your Enthusiasm almost all of the seasons. It's very good. It leads to some just hilarious moments, you know, at the time when Larry David picks up a hooker because he wants to use the parking. Yeah, sorry. He wants to use the car sharing lane. There's there's a good few, there's a good few moments like that. But then if you look exposed towards hacks, I've seen both seasons of hacks. Those are hilarious. Uh, And it's certainly, you know, perhaps if you wanted to argue there, maybe if there is a, a political element to the awards you know it's two strong female characters uh, generally they don't make a hash of that trope you know it does feel unique um, in in the way that it's kind of a a younger girl who's learning from this older one but the older girl or the older woman ends up learning from the the younger girl so it it, I mean you know it does work and it, it doesn't end up feeling like you know men are awful um, you know, go and go and cut go and cut your nether nether regions off. It it stands on its own two feet without necessarily needing to criticize society as a whole. Ted Lasso then, I've only seen fifteen, ten, fifteen minutes of Ted Lasso. I thought it was abhorrent. Just this American kind of Americanized version of football nonsense. But my brother and my uncle are both who are both, you know, large football fans, have a lot of time for it so i don't know about that one Barry i've seen an episode or two it is quite funny but i didn't feel it had much of a rewatchability or certainly a stick factor you could kind of take it or leave it and then only murders in the building i haven't actually seen that one but when you have to th- you have to think about the star power involved you've got selena gomez martin short and steve martin and certainly if they wanted to perhaps give steve martin or martin short their flowers so to speak you know, give them their acclaim while they're still alive. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if only murders in the building is the vehicle they use to do so. You, um, so, yeah, for, ultimately, from, from what I see there, it would be hard to pass up hacks, but only murders in the building perhaps has that element of, of giving Martin Short and Steve Martin their flowers while they're still alive.
0: Well, as someone who has seen Only Murders in a Building, I can tell you that I'm confident it won't win Best Comedy. <laughs> I have seen um, clips and a couple of full episodes of Abbott Elementary. Um, I haven't got to around to watching Barry. I can agree with your brother and your uncle that Ted Lasso fans are primarily football fans. And if you're not a football fan, you'll find it, a bit cumbersome to watch and a bit over the top.
1: I just thought it cheapened football. To me, it, it was just the, the whole thing, it felt like something you'd watch when you were in first class or something. It was all a, a little bit, uh, you know, every element of the game. He, of course, he didn't know it. Um, I don't know, it, it just felt a little cheap or something that, uh, that they could have done a lot more with it. And even the character, the Jason Sudeikis character, I don't find particularly interesting or appealing. Uh, the whole thing just seemed a little pointless. It was some kind of NBC sketch way back in the day. And yeah. if, it were, if it were my choice, I'd leave it there.
0: Funny you mentioned that. I was actually going to go into it. It was an NBC sketch back in the day. And the original pilot for the TV show does play on that a good bit. But once you get into the TV show, I've seen maybe the first season of it. And it is decent once you get into it. There is some very heartfelt stories. But again, if you're not into football and you're simply into the analytic side of is this a good TV show or not, and you have nothing to hold on to that you're familiar with in the show, it does hit the bottom of your list. Overall, I think for Best Comedy, like you said, Hacks has a good chance. Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm is definitely up there as well. What We Do in the Shadows has a good following. But overall, I think Oni Murders in the building, it's there, like you said, for the star power, but overall... I don't think it's within the running. I think I'm going to go with Curb Your Enthusiasm for Best Comedy. Okay. On to Best Drama. Like you said, there's a lot to choose from here. Uh, Better Call Saul seems to be a show that you have uh, high hopes for. Euphoria, also another great show that has made a lot of waves this year. Ozark, great TV show. I think I'm on season three of it. I need to get back into it. Overall, I love Jason Bateman and Laura Linney in this show. Squid Games, Severance as well as Stranger Things, Succession, and Yellow Jackets. Any thoughts on this category?
1: Well, I'm just uh, laughing to myself because Stranger Things, it's funny, Stranger Things is a show that the first season or two everybody watched, but now the only people left watching Stranger Things have to always tell you they watch Stranger Things. They wear the t-shirt, they won't shut up about the show. And to me, it's a bit like Taken 3, move out, you know? Uh, like, this person keeps getting sucked into this vacuum um, of some kind of monster that's killing him or whatever, you know, killing his family. It's like, hey, move, you know, <laughs> 10, 15 minutes up the road. It's, it's a bit of a, just a, a bizarre show. I think it works on some levels because it basically shows the development of uh, kind of from, you know, just pre, pre-adolescence throughout as, adolescence and presumably now it will start touching into adulthood. And any show that does that, even if you think back to Dawson's Creek or or many of those shows of the Naughties, is always going to attract an audience anyway. So I think when you add the sci-fi element and the monsters, and to be fair, quite good acting, it's this uh, recipe that it's difficult to tell exactly why it's there, but when you consider the components, it becomes a little bit more clear. Euphoria, at least for me, I found the second second season at times quite interesting and wall-breaking, but generally it's the kind of show that just makes you really question why you're on this planet. It's a, it's a show that uh, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. As Zendaya's acting is it, quite good, but ultimately... Too much, I suppose uh, kind of focus on on depression and I don't want to be here. you know, she gets herself involved with kind of drug dealers in the second season. Um, and ultimately there's just a little bit too much teenage angst for me. I think at times it really does depict addiction and and the the struggles that that puts on a family. Um, and the family dynamic in quite in quite good terms and it kind of contextualizes addiction because of her uh, lost father and so in those categories i would definitely give it high marks but ultimately especially coming into the winter it's not a show i'd recommend anybody watch
0: euphoria was a very raw show like you mentioned it really didn't pull any punches and like you said may leave a bad taste in your mouth considering um the kind of issues it does deal with there's a lot to root for in the best drama category overall i think you know the likes of severance a tv show backed by ben stiller for years now starring adam scott also for a nomination in the category of best actor in a drama a lot to root for here i think the likes of succession like you said has dropped off stranger things there'll be a lot of fandom around that and do
1: you watch stranger things kyle
0: I watch Stranger Things, but I'm not wearing the T-shirt, Jack. I'm not wearing the T-shirt. <laughs> you're, you're the and only.
1: You're the only person.
0: I'm the only person, apparently. Listen, I can appreciate what the show is, and even though I think, like you said, when I was watching the finale, I was watching the finale with Leanne, and the thought did pop into my head: Why don't they just move away? Why do they need to get involved <laughs> yeah. in this again? They're Not even 18 yet in the show, and why are the parents letting them get involved in this otherworldly kind of affair? Like, and at
1: different points, authorities are aware, yeah. Like, you know, initially it starts as just the sheriff uh, hopper, but Mm -hmm. at least from, from what I remember of the couple of seasons I watched, like it, the government and other people do start to be informed. So, it's like, why do you keep letting again these adolescents battle? these extraterrestrial-type beings. And as I said, like, yeah, I mean, how cheap of a parent can you be that your child keeps getting sucked off into this other world, but you won't set up your house in a fairly kind of average area and move maybe a town or two over to another average area that doesn't have a portal to another dimension?
0: Well, like you mentioned, I think it's a coming of age story, and the fact that it's set in the '80s—you know, a lot of '80s movies—we see that you know kids are able to go out and have these adventures that their parents never know about. You know, the likes of *Stand by Me*, a quintessential coming of age story. This seems to be an homage. Uh, the fact that these kids can go out and do whatever they want, and their parents don't really know what they're up to, is an homage to the. Yes, yeah, of-
1: and even even the, even the small elements like the arcade machine. Yeah, you know the arcade machines was. I think it was strange but things to be honest with you that got me interested in them again and I, I went kind of down the road of emulators and I was just in, in Edinburgh and I was, I was playing I must have spent 25 euro on these bloody arcade machines but they are, they are very enjoyable and as you say it's this homage to a different time mm. but I think when you examine the raw components you start to see um, that maybe it's a little bit more tactical and a little, little less I suppose rich in story that it may appear
0: I think the show overall I think it knows that it's out saying it's welcome, that's why season 5 will be the last when I saw season 1 I really enjoyed it, it felt like a film to me, and that's, mm. I've said this before, you know, these limited series or these movie, uh, these uh, TV series that come out nowadays, they feel like movies, the production value that's put into them overall there was times where I switched off in, in season four this time around. Because again, the setup, you have different characters in different states throughout the U.S. And they're all going through a different phase. And there's a different story arc everywhere you look with the characters. It felt very disjointed with all the different characters separated like this. But again, this was all done in hindsight to bring them back together as one unit to start season five again like i mentioned it might be outstanding it's welcome but i do think it will definitely get a nod at this year's emmys so you're
1: putting stranger things as your as your drama series
0: i think so i think so listen it wouldn't be my favorite to win my favorite to win a tv show that i really love that i hope gets a nod is severance starring adam scott i think that show was very unique in what it brought and it's obviously a passion project for Ben Stiller who worked years on this script and has finally seen it realised. But again, like I said, the fandom and the overall enthusiasm and the cultural mark that Stranger Things has left, you know, getting Kate Bush back to number one on Spotify running mm. up that hill and the nostalgia it's brought back for the eighties will be a bit too much to ignore.
1: Well and, I think better Better Call Saul would be a hard one to yeah. Uh, to reject I mean especially because it's coming it's coming to a close Bob Odenkirk had that health scare recently there's just a couple of factors uh, and I think generally there is quite hard uh, petitioning by Better Call Saul and its PR team you know it was very clearly signposted that this is you know the end we're bringing it to an end Um, and I think they they often do that for the award board so they know well in advance you know, you should probably put this pretty high up on your list. That's not to say award boards are always the most reliable or predictable in that aspect. But as a show, I think it it certainly leans on Breaking Bad, but it does have its own distinct vein of truth and at times comedy. It is, as you say, um, one of those shows that at times you can kind of go on your phone and switch off a little bit. I, I haven't seen the final season, to be honest with you, a bit like Ozark. I know I'll probably enjoy it if I keep going, but it's just that the pain of starting again, mixed with I suppose some of the boredom that has been inherent at times, means that I may stay on season five forever. But certainly by the numbers, the amount of people who have advanced to season six and ultimately finished the show is astounding, and to me, I would be surprised if it doesn't ultimately get the top prize.
0: You're obviously going to go with Better Call Saul. Yes. Okay. Well, it's it'll be interesting to see who comes out on top there, because, like you said, there's so much to dig into in the drama series. On to the best limited series that we've had. A good couple of limited series hit our screens this past year. The likes of Dopesick, The Dropout, Inventing Anna. Pam and Tommy and the White Lotus are up for nominations in this category. I know I recommended for you to watch Dope Sick in our last um, meeting and segment on your podcast. Is there any limited series that really stood out to you this year?
1: There isn't, to be honest with you, because I can only be critical, which um, is my main gear anyway. But uh, Inventing Anna, I watched a piece of that and I thought it was just, it was crazy. It's the, um, girl from Ozark putting on a kind of a bizarre accent.
0: Oh yeah, And so terrible. to be
1: honest with you, yeah, to be honest with you, I'm surprised how that ultimately ended up this far along the process. I suppose it is limited or ontology, or ontology series, so perhaps they were stuck for choice, but I am very surprised that that is in there. The dropout then, um, I haven't seen the actual piece, but I'm aware of you know, it's the story of Elizabeth Holmes, who was basically billed as the next Steve Jobs. She had invented technology that could cure a multitude of diseases with just very simple technology. It turns out she had faked all the results and is now um, either facing prison time or behind bars. Then, of course, Pam and Tommy, and that was one that was quite well regarded, I didn't bother delving into it, but I can see the attraction in the way that, um, of course, Stranger Things is an homage to the 80s. I think Pam and Tommy is an homage to that 90s into the early noughties. And you could definitely lean on a lot of people's sympathy for that kind of lesser, uh, complicated time, an easier time, many people would regard to survive in this world. Certainly you weren't being bombarded by notifications every two minutes. So I think, you know, that could be in for a shout. Of course, Dope Sick is one that yourself and indeed my own dad recommended it to me. And those are just little kind of um, meters you can use, you know, who in your personal life is, is recommending shows and, and would they generally do that? It's a story I had heard, you know, a, a good bit before. The uh, Time magazine and a few had reported on just how bad the opioid crisis in America was. But certainly, it would be a difficult story to, uh, to reject and to turn away from, as you know, if you were on that award board. So I could see that. And then, of course, The White Lotus was regarded quite highly as this kind of old comedy, strange show. I watched about an episode and a half. And I wasn't very impressed. I've asked once or twice, but nothing uh, that, that, would, um, that would warrant a nomination, in my opinion.
0: Dope Sick is definitely high on my list there. Like I mentioned, uh, and you mentioned too, I recommended it to you. And I think that it's hard to ignore that story. It's a very hard-hitting story based on the opioid crisis in America and how harsh it was on the people who got addicted to the drug. I thought there was great um, performances throughout the show from the likes of Michael Keaton and Rosario Dawson. Really something that you can't ignore in this category, like you said. So I think I'm going to go with Dope Sick for the limited series.
1: I think I'll match you on that one. It would be a hard one to turn away, especially, uh, you know, the might of the story, uh, people getting addicted and dying it is one that I think if you were on that board, you would find it quite hard to perhaps give it to some kind of flaky comedy or kind of an homage to the 90s and naughties in the, in the context of a sex tape. So I'd imagine, as you say, Dope Sick will probably remain or, or um, ultimately become victorious.
0: Best actor in a drama series, you have Jason Bateman from Ozark, a show that you seem to really enjoy, Brian Cox for Succession, Lee Jung-jae from Squid Game, Bob Odenkirk, Better Call Saul, Adam Scott from Severance, and Jeremy Strong from Succession as well.
1: What I respect so much about Jason Bateman is his ability to, to change because it's a very difficult thing to do. If you think about it, um, it's basically only Brian Cranston in recent years who has managed to be set in stone as a comedy figure and then managed to transition out of that into a drama, uh, kind of difficult, perhaps antagonist, but certainly walking that line where they're not necessarily the most likable person and they're not America's best dad as they had been, you know, a few years ago. So I I think Jason Bateman at least deserves huge amounts of kudos for that change. Now, whether the board will see it in this running of
0: the Emmys, I don't know. I have to agree with you there, Jason Bateman to me always stood out, this is before Ozark obviously, always stood out as an actor who came through on supporting roles and he was able to play it funny but sincere at times as well and like you said a complete 180 in Ozark. There were times where he gave across a really stern performance, like you mentioned, was able to change and flip characters that were used to seeing him play in this show. So overall, I think he's within a good shout for best actor in a drama. The likes of Brian Cox for Succession, as well as Jeremy Strong. I haven't seen Succession, so it's hard for me to give a quantified answer on their chances. But obviously, with the the fact that everyone's talking about Succession, you can see why they're there. Squid Game, Lee Jun Jae, obviously uh, with the success of the show. Better Call Saul, Bob Odenkirk. I love Bob Odenkirk as a comedy actor and his timing is impeccable, in my opinion. haven't seen Better Call Saul, but from what you've said, he seems to be a running favourite for this nomination.
1: Yes, it's a wealth of riches in that category, certainly, and I think, um, you know, if you were going to the bookies on this one, Jason Bateman um, and Bob Odenkirk would be where you'd probably be laying your money. I mean, Brian Cox, again, if they wanted to perhaps give them a final send-off type thing, if they felt that maybe Coxy doesn't have many years left, then I could understand why perhaps it might swing in that direction. But ultimately, just on the strength of their performances, I would find it difficult if it didn't go to Odenkirk or Bateman.
0: Just moving on to Best Actress in a Comedy, we have Quinta brunson Kelly Cuco from The Flight Attendant, El Fanning in The Great. We have Issa Ray from Insecure. Gene Smart from Hacks. Who do you see winning this out?
1: Gene Smart, in my opinion. Uh, there's a lot of very talented people there. Issa Ray has started to gain more and more traction from what I can see online. Of course, that's not always the best metric, but definitely a, a rising star. But Gene Smart, for those who have seen Hacks, will know she pulls off what would be an unlikable horrible grump of a character in such a way that leaves you kind of almost um, empathizing with her and hating everybody else you know she really wins you over at that aspect so yeah i think um if the odds were good on that you'd put a fiver or a tenner down
0: looking at the category not many tv shows that i've watched and performances i've seen from these actresses, I watched a couple of episodes of the Abbott Elementary series. Um, like you mentioned, the TV show Hacks seems to be a show that I should check out. I'm just going to simply go with Kaylee Cucco here because I think she has a lot of standing in comedy right now. Be- obviously, because of her popularity in Big Bang Theory and The Flight Attendant did seem to get a lot of press once it was released. If she wins or not, who knows, but I'm going to go with Kaylee Cucco in that category. On to Best Actor in a Comedy... We have Donald Glover from Atlanta, Bill Hader in Barry, Nicholas Holt in The Great, Steve Martin and Martin Short from Only Murders in the Building, and Jason Sudeikis from Ted Lasso.
1: Well, certainly. I mean, you couldn't accuse these people of plying their trade in the linen Hall or something. These are all top-class actors. At least for me, Atlanta didn't hit the mark. A lot of people, a lot of fans of the show were quite happy. It took a bit of a turn, and I suppose because it had taken quite a long break between seasons. You know, either you were very much invested and you were chomping at the bit, or perhaps you were a little lethargic and kind of, I suppose, out of the frame of mind to enjoy the programme. Jason Sudeikis, as you say, with Ted Lasso, I think that would be a hard one to beat. But as we were saying before, only murders in the building have two nominations for two different actors. You would have to imagine one of them coming away with that and especially given their age you would think that maybe their the the, uh, commissioner taking a gamble and going we might not see much more of steve martin or martin short Let, let them know how much um you know we appreciate them
0: well i think i'm in line with you there you mentioned that only Murders in the building might get a nod for best comedy simply because the duo martin short and steve martin are nearing the end of their career but i don't think they'll win best comedy but i do think they'll definitely be in the running for best comedy actor i do think steve martin is retiring at the end of only Murder in the building and really is staying on so he can finish off his career and get maybe a nod for his performance in this i really liked steve martin and martin short in only Murder in the building to be honest i love them in anything they do They've been a great comedy duo over the years in the likes of the Father of the Bride franchise as well as a few other comedy movies they're in together. I'm going to go with Martin Short for Only Murdered in the Building. I did like his performance a bit better than Steve Martin. Steve Martin played a neurotic, straight, deadpan character whereas Martin Short plays that chaotic character that is just willing to say anything and do anything for a laugh very well. And obviously playing Frank in the Father of the Bride series, he's used to playing outrageous characters. So I'm going to go with Martin Short for Best Comedy Actor. Moving on to Best Actress in a Drama Series, we have Jodie Comer in Killing Eve, Laura Linney in Ozark, Melanie Lazinski sari in Yellow Jackets, Sandra Oh in Killing Eve, Reese Witherspoon in The Morning Show, and Zendaya in Euphoria. Any thoughts?
1: I think a lot of thoughts, but, but ultimately Zendaya, I think, probably has this by a mile or two. You know, certainly her performance has been acclaimed. Um, uh, you know, uh, she's relatively an up-and-coming star, but has enough star power to already be quite well known and respected, I think, by the commission. There wouldn't be much competition, at least in my opinion on that one. It would be hard to not see a Zendaya win.
0: The only actress I could see competing with Zendaya in this category is Jodie Comer in Killing Eve. I really appreciate Jodie Comer's performances throughout her career. She's really risen to fame in the last few years, especially over the course of this year, starring in the movie Free Guy. But overall, I kind of have to agree with you. Zendaya knocked it out of the park with her performance in Euphoria. Like the show, her performance was raw, vulnerable, emotional and touching on the topics they touch in on that show her performance is one you can't ignore in this category so i think we're both going first yeah i think i
1: think you'd make if you'd make a couple of pounds if, if you put a, put some money on her because um as you say the the topic her age i think probably lines up quite well she's um old enough to be respected by the commission but young enough where they could perhaps paint her as a you know a young up-and-comer if they still wanted to. There's a lot of good optics on that, along with just, as you say, the sheer talent of her performance, the gravity that she manages to pull off, and as you say, she gives life and um, certainly exposure to a topic and a subject that is very rarely depicted accurately.
0: Best Actress in a Limited Series or TV Show. Tony Collette, The Staircase, Julia Garner, Inventing Anna, you have Lily James in Pam and Tommy, who really, I think, was the best part of that show, Sarah Paulson in Impeachment, Margaret Crawley in Made, and Amanda Siegfried in The Dropout.
1: Yes, as I say, I mean, I haven't, of course, seen all of these, but uh, Amanda Siegfriedman in The Dropout would be, I think that would be an interesting one, because The Dropout has managed to tread a line which is very delicate because ultimately uh, Elizabeth Holmes was depicted as kind of this female Steve Jobs, um, an answer, I suppose, to some of the male domination in in the entrepreneurial field and in Silicon Valley. So there was kind of um, a razzmatazz around that. And so to ultimately basically destroy that dream and do it over a couple of 45-minute episodes is an absolute art craft in itself. There wasn't, from what I could see, many New York Times think pieces or Washington Post where they call it misogynist or or whatever. And so obviously her performance was true enough to the character and to the reality of the the situation um, where audiences must have really connected. Because to manage to con your way to that position obviously means you're quite bright. It just means that you're also a, a hell of a, uh, you know, a snake oil salesman. Yeah. So um, you know there is, it's not all bad. Certainly, um, I wouldn't like to have her, have her at my dinner table. But obviously, she herself, Elizabeth Holmes, has uh, you know, quite, a, quite an intellect. So to portray that on screen, I, I think you'd have to say that the dropout and any actor associated with it would be in with a very good shot.
0: Well, I think for this category, it has to go down between Margaret Qualley in Maid and Amanda Siegfried in The Dropout. I do agree with you that it's very hard to put someone on screen, and especially when it's someone that already like is exists in the sphere of pop culture and is still alive, you know, you have to kind of hold it up to the, the mirror and say, okay, I did the best I could. I think Amanda Siegfried has done a great job you can see the clips from the tv show next to the real clips of the person that she betrays and it's almost seamless at times so I think Man of Siegfried is a big shout whether or not Margaret Qualley gets in there or not but I think those are the two that would be in high contention for that but I think Man of Siegfried might just win it out. Best actor in a limited series or tv movie we have Colin Firth in the staircase Andrew Garfield in Under the Banner of Heaven, Oscar Isaac in Scenes from a Marriage, Michael Keaton in Dope Sick, Himish Patel in Station Eleven, and Sebastian Stan in Pam and Tommy.
1: Well, I think the staircase I, I, I mean, firstly I don't understand the staircase. Why are people still banging on about this? You know, it no was clue. a B rate Netflix it was a B rate Netflix documentary and people are there watching this redramatization of it. Uh, going, oh, it's incredible. I wonder what will happen. Well, if you'd watched the Netflix documentary or just Googled the story, yeah, you'd, you'd know, know happens. nothing happened. Yeah. Um, I, you know, my own dad was watching it and I was telling him, stop watching that nonsense. And after eight episodes, he came to me and he said, you were right. I mean, it's, uh, You know, and nothing really happened. But Colin Firth, ultimately, he's a hard man to deny. You know, he's a phenomenal actor. And I think the staircase, although I don't agree with it, definitely gripped viewers so himself or michael Keaton in dope sick we've already spoke about that i think both of those have a phenomenal shot
0: i am like yourself i didn't see the point in a dramatization of the staircase i know that michael peterson the original man who was convicted and then got his conviction overturned for the murder of his then wife kathleen he doesn't agree with the fact that it's being made doesn't see the point in it but overall like you said it's hard to deny an actress like tony collette and especially colin furt as a lead actor he has a lot of staying power and a likability and like you said talent as well i wouldn't say that he's high up on the list to get this even though there was a lot of people swept up with the show it didn't need to get made like like you mentioned you could have you could have easily just gone to the Netflix documentary. Maybe it was the anniversary of the documentary, maybe it was the anniversary of the incident itself.
1: Actually, Kyle, I think the reality is it's the same model they have applied in movie making, which is if there's an existing property with a defined audience, let's just rehash it and they'll probably watch it. We can, we can be assured that our investment will pay back in this percentage, you know, worst case scenario. And ultimately, at least on that gamble, it has paid off. There is droves of people tuning into it. It was a quite acclaimed Netflix documentary at the time, but obviously it didn't penetrate in the same way that it has managed to this time around.
0: I think for this category, my shout has to be for either Andrew Garfield in Under the Banner of Heaven or Michael Keaton in Dope Sick. I'm halfway through Under the Banner of Heaven. It is a very detailed true crime show starring Andrew Garfield as a Mormon cop who was investigating a murder in a Mormon community. And like many other true crime shows, it's kind of penetrating and diving deep into the Mormon religion and dissecting it. It kind of gives me the same kind of vibes that True Detective had. I really love that show. But overall, I think it has to be between Michael Keaton or Andrew Garfield. I think Andrew Garfield might just tip it because... A bit like Zendaya, he has that ability to be seen as an up-and-coming talent, but also he's old enough to be respected by the um, by the academy. Perfect. I think that's where we're going to leave it for the predictions. We could go through many others, but we'll be here all night. Jack, I really have to thank you for being on the segment. I really appreciate it and hope to be back on your podcast very soon.
1: No problem. Well, let's see where our predictions pay off I'll uh, keep chugging away on Dope Sick and uh, I'll talk to you soon,
0: Carl. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. I hope you all enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, remember to give the podcast some love up on whatever podcast platform you subscribe to. Give it a follow and share the episode with your friends. A big thanks again to Jack McDonald for joining me in this last segment to discuss the Emmys. If you haven't yet checked out his podcast, The Jack McDonald Show, go and do so. He's a very talented podcaster. His podcast is available to listen to up on Spotify, as well as his YouTube channel and a bunch of different other podcast platforms. So go and give him some love. As always, you can lend your thoughts to the podcast, have your say on everything I talked about in today's episode up on Anchor FM, Spotify, and Twitter. This brings the episode to a close. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to check out the rest of my catalogue available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Anchor FM whatever podcast platform you listen to make sure to give is a recording some love give it a follow and share the episode with your friends i'm very excited to be on this journey with the podcast and happy to have you along for the ride new episodes are available every friday so make sure you never miss out this has been is a recording with kyle duffy thanks for listening